Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, you know, today we're starting a brand new series. We have finished 2 Corinthians. And I told you we were going to be jumping around. No, we're not. You know me too good. You too, too well. I have to have a context. I can't just grab one here, grab one there, go here, go there. Would you turn to the book of Joshua? That's going to be our context. And we're going to be talking about the incredible journey that we're all on as believers. But while, we, while you're turning there, we have some dear friends here today. First of all, Dory Van Stone. Where is Dory? I saw her. Where'd you go? There's little Dory right over there. <laughs> and we're glad to see you, Dory. And also, we have Stuart and Ellen Coleman. I can tell you how great it was to see these folks today. Stuart, stand up. I want them to give you a big old hand because Stuart and Ellen. Ellen, you stand up too. Stuart was on my staff for six years at Hoffmantown. He's here going to school at Richmond, getting his degree in counseling. But we're just a wonderful friend. I thank you for being here, Stuart. Thank you all for coming. All right, Joshua chapter 1. Have you ever taken a rock, smooth rock, and you skipped it out across the water? Anybody ever done that before? Isn't that fun? Well, that's kind of the way we're going to do Joshua. <laughs> we're going to go boop, 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 all the way across. Because we're not, I'm not teaching the book of Joshua as much as I'm drawing from it things that we can learn from so that we can experience all that God has given to us. I'm going to title today, Experiencing What We Already Have in Jesus. Experiencing, how to experience what we already have in the Lord Jesus. One of the concerns I had for years when I was traveling all the time and lived out in Reno, Nevada, one of the things that I, I kept hitting me in the face and it began to form a question in my mind as to how many believers really understand what they already have in Jesus. And I guarantee you, you can take ten and find nine of them that don't have a clue. I don't know if you remember Bertha Smith, Miss Bertha Smith. She died at a hundred years old. <laughs> I just loved her. But you didn't want to pray with Miss Bertha. I loved to pray. Miss Bertha loved to pray. The problem was, right in the middle of your prayer, she'd stop you. Now, that was not a lot of fun. I've never had anybody do that before. And she'll say, what are you doing? And you're thinking, what do you mean, what am I doing? And she'll say, why are you asking God for what you already have? Why do you not come before him and say, God, teach me to live in and to experience that which you've already given to me? How many times I've seen people stop when they say, Lord, give me patience. And God says, I've already given it to you. It's in the Lord Jesus, in the person of his spirit. It's the fruit of his spirit working in your life. Always asking for what we already have with no clue how to live and experience what God has given to us. Well, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 10, And in Him, Christ, you have been made complete. Do you realize in every religion in the world they're always moving to this level, to this level, to this level, but not in Christianity? We're coming out of what we already are. Sanctification is learning to live what God says we already are in Christ. We're complete in Christ. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, already done, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Spiritual blessing, not material blessing, spiritual blessing. Not just some, every spiritual blessing. Think about it. People are looking for this blessing, that blessing, this experience, that experience. It's like people are trying to get into a room that they're already in and they don't even know it. What are some of these spiritual blessings? I'm just going to hit a few of them. Romans 3.24, we're justified in Christ, which means declared not guilty, just as if we'd never sinned. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we, we await no condemnation because we're in Christ. Romans 8, verse 2, we're set free from the law of sin and, and death in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, we're sanctified and made acceptable in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, we are righteous and holy in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're a brand new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we receive God's righteousness in Christ. Galatians 3, 28, we are one in Christ with all believers. This, this Ephesians alone, Ephesians 1, 4, we're holy, blameless, and the objects of God's love in Christ. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, we're adopted into the family, uh, God's family as his children in Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, we're forgiven of our sins, and our sins have been taken away in Christ. Ephesians 1, 13, we're marked as belonging to God by the Spirit of Christ. In Ephesians 2, 6, we're seated with Christ in glory. In Ephesians 2.10, we are God's work of art, His workmanship in Christ. In Ephesians 2.13, we have been brought near to God in Christ. In Ephesians 3.6, we are partakers of all the promises of the gospel of, through Christ. Ephesians 3.12, we can come with freedom and with confidence into God's presence because of Christ. In Ephesians 5.29-30, we are members of Christ's body on earth, which is His church. Colossians 2.10, we have been given the fullness of Christ. Colossians 2.11, we are set free from the power of sin in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.10, we have eternal glory in Christ. And on and on and on and on and on. That's what we already have. We already have that in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We don't have to ask God for these blessings, but we do need to learn how to appropriate, how to experience them in our walk day by day. And the way we learn to experience what we already have is the same way we receive them. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, just as, in exactly the same way, so walk you in Him. This is why I've chosen to illustrate the incredible journey that we're on in Christ Jesus out of the book of Joshua. It's kind of looking at the new through the eyes of the old. Like again, I won't be teaching Joshua like you think I would do another book. I'm just going to grab the nuggets. I'm going to take that smooth rock and skip it out across the book of Joshua and see what we can learn about walking in and experiencing what we already have in Christ Jesus. We're going to compare our journey with Christ with the journey of Israel. Israel was given a land. We are given a life but the way they experience the land is the same way we experience his life in us. It's important to know that what I'm doing is very legitimate. You say, Wayne, how can you do that and be biblically correct? Oh, I have no problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, after listing five things, five verses about what happened in the history of Israel, Paul says, now these things happened 
to Israel as examples for us. What are we supposed to do? Learn from them. Learn from them. Learn how to walk in them. So Joshua chapter 1. He says in verse 1, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, to get us started, I'm going to skip that rock again over the history of Israel. There's a lot of history that gets us up to chapter 1, verse 1 of Joshua. For 430 years, Israel had been in Egypt, and 400 of those years, they were in captivity. In fact, when Abraham first entered the land that God had promised to him, and he entered into that land, God said, it's going to be this way. He says in Genesis 15, 13, God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Now, they were there 430 years, but 400 of those years, they were oppressed. They were in captivity. Now, a lot of history took place for this to happen. Abraham and Sarah, now again, skipping the rock. Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob the younger was the one that the covenant promises were passed to. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of the sons that he had was named Joseph. In the 36th chapter of Genesis, he gave Joseph a multicolored tunic, and, and this made his brothers absolutely furious, so much so that they threw him in a pit and then sold him to a group of Ishmaelites that were on their way to sell their wares in Egypt. And to make a long story short, which involved Joseph, once he's in Egypt, being lied about by Potiphar's wife and then thrown into prison, and then a beautiful thing happened. The, the Pharaoh had a dream, and he couldn't understand it. Well, the baker remembered Joseph, and Joseph was brought, and he interpreted that dream for the Pharaoh. The dream was that, for, interpretation was, that for seven years, there was going to be, in seven years, there were going to be a famine. But there was going to be a seven-year leeway before that took place. And he was supposed to go out and, and get all the grain. They were going to have a bumper crop for seven years. Take all the grain that they came and store it up so they would be ready for the famine when it struck the land. Well, as a result of this, Joseph was delivered from, not only delivered from prison, he was put in the second highest position he could possibly have in Egypt next to Pharaoh. Famine came. It didn't only strike Egypt, it struck Canaan. And Canaan, the, the, the family there, had to go over into Egypt to buy grain. And when they got there, you know the story, they, they were reunited with Joseph, and Joseph showed the kindness of his heart. You meant it for my harm, God meant it for my good. And so they moved the whole family over to Egypt. And for 30 years they lived and reproduced, and the, the nation began to grow. But a brand new Pharaoh came on the scene, scared to death by the exponential growth of Israel in Egypt, and therefore he puts them in, into slavery, into captivity. And this is when Moses comes on the scene. 400 years, but at the end of that 400-year period, right toward the end, Moses comes on the scene. It's Moses who leads them out of Egypt. And who could forget the ten plagues? And who could forget the history of, them sta of Moses standing at the, at the Red Sea and holding up his staff and the sea parting, and they go across, and then the enemy coming down on him and drown 
in the ocean. During this time that Moses delivered the people, took them over into the wilderness. They could have been in Canaan within a few days, but because of the rebelliousness of the nation, they chose not to trust God. Even after the miraculous deliverance that they had had, and so therefore a whole generation dies in the land of the wilderness. Well, in a fit of anger one day, Moses, over the rebelliousness of the people, struck the rock in anger, and as a result of that, God would not allow him to go over. He dies, and this is where we pick up with Joshua. Joshua, for 40 years, had been nothing more than a yes man to Moses, and now he comes to the plate. Now Joshua is going to be the leader taking them over into Israel, I mean, into Canaan. Joshua, you the man. <laughs> After Moses had been their leader, Joshua now was to take them over into the land that they had departed from, the land in which God had already given to them. Now, for that whole nation to go into it, Joshua was now their leader. And you know, again, God didn't give us a land. He gave us a life. The covenant to Israel was in external. The covenant to us, the new covenant, is internal and eternal. And we have a life, all the promises of God. They're the spiritual promises, and all of them are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But the problem is, again, how do we experience it then? How do we experience it? How did Israel experience going into possessing the land? How do we enter into experiencing the life that we have in Christ? Again, a change of leadership. Verse 1, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, now, you have to understand another piece here. Moses had done his homework as led of the Lord. He had already gone before the people and had told them that Joshua would be their leader. Numbers 27, 15 through 23. Let me read that with you. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight, and you shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. And in Deuteronomy 31, verse 1, So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you, and, he, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them just as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land. And he destroyed them. And the Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not forsake you nor fail you. Then Moses said to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, all of Israel, be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. 
He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The final day had come. The people, God had to take Joshua out because leadership changes. God does it, but leadership doesn't. And many times people cannot shift with leadership change. And so he made them ready to know that Joshua was going to be their leader. And finally the day came in verse 2 in Joshua 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now the instructions God gives to Joshua in our message today are so important for us to understand and us to relate. Because remember, Paul said, all these things happen to them for your instruction, that, that you might learn from it for your benefit. And so let's look and see. What can we learn? If we have all the spiritual blessings already in Christ, every spiritual blessing, how do we walk in it? How do we experience it? How many days of your life are just so miserable and we, we get so bland? And all of us have been there. How many times have you just come to that place of saying, God, where are you? I'm out here, but where are you? How do we walk in the fullness of what God has given to us? Well, let's look. There are three things that come out in this message that I hope will be a blessing to you. First of all, don't factor God out of the equation in experiencing what is already yours. Now, God is involved in our lives. This is the thing. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how, how big the trauma is in your life. I don't know what unexpected circumstances, unannounced circumstances you're facing. But do not factor God out of it. Because God is using it in our lives to lead us into what we already have, just like he did with Israel, to lead them into what he had already given to them. Moses, my servant, is dead. And now watch what he says. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan. The Jordan River stood between the nation of Israel and Canaan, where they were headed. It stood between. There was a river there they had to get through in order to get into that which God said was already there. This presented an insurmountable charge. How do we know that? Challenge. Because in chapter 3, verse 15, it says that the Jordan River was flood stage. It was at flood stage. Chapter 3, verse 15, and when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks all of the days of harvest. It was at harvest time in the spring of the year when the snow was melting off of off Mount Lebanon and it was flowing into the Jordan River. At normal times, it's 110 feet wide. That's bad enough. But at flood stage, it's over a mile wide. Now, isn't it interesting how God chooses this impossible time for them to cross over? Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall? They camped out for three days beside the river. And I know there's many reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons was so that everybody in that whole bunch could understand this is impossible. Now, don't factor God out of what's going on in your life. This is a quarry. God is simply using it to conform us to the image of Christ. We're going to live with Him forever. Life on this earth is just a vapor. It's here and it's gone, but we're with Him forever. Now, what's going on in your life? right now we factor God right out of the equation in fact he's about number six on our list of what we do when we're hit with a circumstance we don't like finally has it come to that do we need to pray but it's God who so wants us to experience what he has given to us that he floods the river of our circumstances he puts us into a crisis 
He organizes life to work exactly for his purpose, which is to draw us to where we say we want to be, but rarely do we really want to be there because we don't understand the price of what it takes to get there. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people. We don't know how many people there were. You could start guessing at it. Some people have said a million. Some people said a million and a half. One said up to two million Israelites. And you've got a river that's a mile wide. Impossible unless God does it. That's exactly right. That's exactly where he wants us to be. By the way, he does that individually, but he also does that corporately. Would anybody agree with me on that? Somebody asked me recently, how much do you owe on, on what you're in right now? And I told them. <laughs> then they said, well, how much are you going to have to get to build the, the building over there? And I told them, and they looked at me and said, whoa, buddy, that's going to take a miracle. And I thought to myself, that's exactly right. God had them right where he wanted them to be. Why? Not because of, of any other thing, because he wants them to enjoy what he's already given to them. It's a miracle. Now, what's going on in your life right now? What's happening? What is it that's happened this past week that your circumstances have just a curveball hit you upside the head? And you think, God, where are you? And God said, are you kidding me? Who moved? I ain't gone anywhere. I'm working in your life to draw you to myself. I want you to experience everything that I've already given to you. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall when God did the miracle of crossing that river? I just love it. <laughs> they told the priest, I just think this is the greatest thing. I heard a sermon on the radio one day of how spiritual these priests were. I do not agree respectfully. I do not. Bunch of rednecks like we are. He told the priest, take the ark and put it, be the first ones out. <laughs> you got a flooded river. It's a mile wide. Did you see the priest walking down thinking, <laughs> all right, put your foot in the water because nothing was going to happen until he put the foot in the water. Puts the foot in the water, and whoa, I would love to have had a video of that. Hollywood couldn't touch it. It backed up 17 miles. The tributary dried up. The Jordan River dried up. Then he tells the priest, you stand out there in the middle until everybody's crossed. <laughs> And that particular guy that I heard on the radio that day was how spiritual they were to stand out there in the middle of the river. Shoot. I bet they were out there saying, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Man, there's a wall of water 17 miles back. Get, move, move it, move it. And when the last priest pulled his foot out of the water, boom, the water came crashing down. What did God taught them? Listen, that was a lesson. That was like the circumstances. That that's not a spiritual battle. I hear people talking about spiritual battles because of a circumstance they're going through. You kidding me? No, the circumstance is to get you lined up to where you can trust God. Jericho was their first battle. Jordan was not. But at Jordan, they learned how to face Jericho. If we don't learn, learn that God can do the impossible, that God can do it, and he wants to do it, he's got to teach us, first of all, not to factor him out of the equation. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall just to watch that. What's going on in your life today? What's happening? Are you, are you connecting the dots? Are you connecting the dots? There is a God, you know, <laughs> and he's out there. As a matter of fact, he lives in us. So whatever you're going through, God's way ahead of you. And the one thing he wants more than anything else is to get us to the place to where we're just satisfied with him. 
I don't know what's going on in my life at this age, but I'm so sick of all the stuff that draws me away from just being satisfied with him. And God says, son, I've got your life right where I want you. I've got you in a mission house right out here. <laughs> I've got your stuff in Albuquerque. God, will you deliver me? Deliver you? I'm trying to teach you something to be satisfied just with me. Just with me. Are you there this morning? Are you there this morning? Shaking your fist in God's face because of your circumstances? Well, what about, what about? Ask Joshua how he felt about it. He'd been a yes man all of his life. And now he's standing before a river that's flooded. And God says, take them over. And no place in my scripture does it say where, where they ask how to build a bridge. No place in my scripture does it find how to make a boat to, to start taking them across. It's not what God was all about. Secondly, don't forget this. Don't forget God's condition to experiencing what you already have. Now, this is where a lot of people miss it. Most believers think God's just going to do it. Well, he's working all the time, but there is a condition. There was a condition on them. There is a condition on us. Brother Wayne, we're not under the law. Well, yes, we are. We're under the law of the Spirit. And there is a condition. There is an intentionality. There is a choice. If we're not going to make it, God's not going to hammer us with it. He's going to let life continue to frustrate us and frustrate us and frustrate us until we get to the place of saying, yes, Lord. And then he's going to say, boy, I've been waiting a long time to hear you say that. And then we start walking where he says we're already, and what he says we already have. I want you to notice something here. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now if there will arise, cross this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them. To the sons of Israel, to the land which I am giving to them. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said he had already given it to them. There's an interesting thing here that, that plays on the tenses used here in these verbs. All the way back to Genesis 15, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land. When Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because of disobedience, a fit of anger, God said, Numbers 20, verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. And then in Numbers 33, verse 51, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones, and destroy all their molten images, and demolish all their high places, and you shall take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. God said over and over again, I have given it to you. I have given it to you. I have given it to you. But in our text, he changes the tense. He said, to the land which I am giving to him. Imperfect. But perfect, which means it's done deal, to him. Perfect. Now, what in the world is he saying here? What's he trying to get across to them? I, I want to say, uh-oh, I bet there's a condition in here. And if you would say that, you're exactly right. Verse 2 doesn't make sense until you get to verse 3. Look down at verse 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Perfect tense. Changes the tense. Just as I spoke to Moses. Now, the key to that whole thing 
is in that little phrase, sole of your foot. The word sole is the Hebrew word kaf, which refers to the inside of the hand, if you're talking about the hand, the tender part, or here, it's, it is the foot. It's the bare, tender part of your foot. You say, what in the world does that mean? I mean, I go home and take off my socks and shoes. What, what, what's the deal here? Do you remember when Moses was out in the desert? Do you remember? In Exodus chapter 3. And there was a bush that was burning but not being consumed. And a voice came out of the bush. <laughs> I need Charlton Heston if he's still alive to help me. Moses. <laughs> oh, Moses. <laughs> and Moses, <laughs> didn't know what to say, did he? And God said, take off your sandals. Now, this is really interesting. Look at verse 5. Well, I think you'll have it up there in verse 5 of, of Exodus 3. Then he said to him, do not come he near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you're standing is what? Holy ground. The ground was holy ground. The word holy means set apart unto God, just like it does in the New Testament. It's, a, it's the same concept. God said, take off your sandals, son. Consider the ground that you're standing on holy. We're not moving any further until you do what I tell you to do. So the term soul of your foot. And taking your sandals off has to me, lay down your agenda, lay down your bitterness, lay down your concepts, lay down your request, lay down your will. Oh God, I'm taking my sandals off. I'm going to stand on the ground that is set apart unto you because I want to walk in the fullness of what you say is already mine. Do you see the condition? Do you see it? Joshua, every time you take a step and it's in an absolute surrender to me. You're walking into that which I have already given to you. But I'm not giving to you all at one time. You're not going to experience it just because I've given it to you. It's a condition as you therefore have received it by faith, which is a choice. You walk in it, which is by faith, which is a choice. Joshua experiences his very first battle when he gets over there. He goes up to see what Jericho looks like. Hadn't seen it in quite a while. Joshua 5, verse 3. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us, you for our adversaries? I would have asked the same question. If he'd have said, I'm for them, I'm out of here. He says in verse 14, And he said, No. That's interesting to me. He didn't answer the question. He said, I didn't, came, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the, of the Lord, the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua, you lay down your strategies. You lay down your agendas. You lay down your fears. Joshua, take your shoes off, son. What he was about to tell him was how they were going to conquer Jericho, which made no sense whatsoever to the human brain. He was going to tell him to take the people, walk around the city one time each day. We're going to look at that, by the way, in a few weeks to come. And, it, and not say a word. Can you imagine that many people not saying a word? They couldn't have been Baptists. And he said, just the sound of the trumpet. 
or similar. Actually, the word trumpet there is a jubilee horn. They weren't really going to battle against them. They were just coming back to possess what was already theirs. Walk around at one time each day. By the sixth day, can't you imagine the people say, good grief, they're not going to do anything. A bunch of people walking around the city. Boy, that's really good. They didn't know the seventh day was coming. <laughs> and on the seventh day, they walked around it seven times, and then they shouted, and, of course, the walls fell down. He's saying, Joshua, your will, your thinking, your creativity, all the ability you can come up with can't touch what I'm about to do. So lay it down. Take your shoes off. Take your figuring. Take your, all the stuff and lay it down. Joshua, you trust me. You trust me. Paul has said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, the life I now live, I live by faith. That's what faith is. It's forsaking all else. I trust him. That's what faith is. I'm going to do it his way. Why are believers not experiencing all that they have in Christ? I know why I'm not so many times. There's too much of me in the way. My sandals are still on. We have to come bankrupt before him and give it to him. Because if there's something not yielded in our lives, I guarantee you, that's exactly what's holding you back from walking in everything you know in your head God has already given in your life. It's become the fly in the ointment. So don't factor God out of what you're doing. He's the divine pursuer, relentless pursuer. He'll pursue us until the day we see him. But not only that, he relentlessly orchestrates life to drive us to himself. And there is a condition when we get there. We've got to learn to say yes. That's the intentionality. So many people have heard me preach and they think I'm preaching a passive message and I, I don't know what I do wrong in it. I really don't know. But I was comforted by two things. One was Romans 6, comforting me the most because Paul dealt with the same criticism. But a man in Memphis one day told me, said, Wayne, if you're never accused of preaching license, you've never preached the message of grace. It's not in the preaching. It's in the hearing. And people tend to hear it passively. Even though it's not preached that way, they hear it. Listen, there is a condition and intentionality of which means to walk by faith. There is a choice we have to make at some point. Get your sandals off and get up before him and trust him for what he says is right. And then you begin to experience what you have been promised. So what's the song say? Trust and obey for there's how many other ways? No other way. Well, we sing it great, don't we? Don't live it very well, but we sing it. Thirdly, don't be foolish. Third thing, don't be foolish to think that anyone can take from you what God has given to you. You ever made the statement? And I have, and I guess I'm just guilty of it. That old boy stole my joy today. <laughs> I mean, some people have the gift of dissension, and they, they live to ruin your day. And you wake up and you have your quiet time. You get in the Word and you're singing all the way today. Oh, boy, this is wonderful. And then somebody parachutes right into your life. That old boy stole my joy today. Well, I've said it. You've said it. We've all thought it if we haven't said it. But I want you to know that's a wrong statement. It's a lie right out of the pit of hell. Nobody can take from us what God says is ours. But we can choose not to walk in it. And that's bottom line. Verse 4, God gives the boundaries of the land he promised Israel. I can't go there. He didn't give us the land. But I'll tell you what, the people living in the Middle East might want to go look at that because they'll pass out when they find out what's really given 
to Israel. But we don't have a land. We have a life. And just like Israel couldn't claim all that God had given to them at once to possess all that God has for us in Christ, we must learn to walk in faith and surrender to him. Or we're going to miss out. We're just flat out going to miss out. No men, no man can take away from us what God has given to us. But like Israel, we can choose not to walk in it. A lot of the Israel did not do what God told them to do. They didn't take the land. They were scared to death. Take the tribe of Dan. Dan was supposed to go down and conquer some land. It was next to where the Philistines were. No, we're not going there. We went up here. We went north. They went to a place called Laish. They conquered this town. Well, big whooping deal. It was a, it was a pipsqueak town to start with. And as a result of it, they named it, renamed it Dan. And then you get to the book of the Revelation. Dan doesn't even show up in the list of the tribes. I mean, there was one tribe that camped out on the other side of the Jordan. Why? They like the pasture land. It's better over here than over there where God has given to us. Israel didn't follow through. But how many believers have followed through? No man can take away from us. Verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now, no man will be able to stand before you. That does not imply, nor does it mean, that they won't try. They won't try. They're out there. They're, they're a dime a dozen. But they cannot take away from us. If our satisfaction is only in the Lord. I had heard a statement. My son shared it with me. A man said, a great theologian, he said, it was really precious. When a person becomes satisfied only in Christ, he will obey. Obedience is not even a problem. But he has to, first of all, be satisfied in Christ. To stand before you has the idea they're going to try. They're going to be there. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I'm so glad that, that uh, Stuart's here today <laughs> and Helen. Stuart was with me during some of the hard days, weren't you, Stuart? In New Mexico, I tell people it was hell by the acre, but that's the nicest thing I can say. It was very similar, wasn't it? Some of the toughest days I've ever been through in my entire life. I have got a witness, and he is here today, and I thank God for him being a brother that helped me get through those days. And God did. Did a great work. God began to turn that. God did it. Hey, listen, I'm talking about the first days, the first years. Whew. I was thinking, what did I do wrong when I was growing up? And God said, it's not about that at all. I want you to live what you're preaching to everybody else. So I'm going to put you in a place to where everything you've ever done doesn't work. Everything that you've ever thought was going to happen was not going to happen. And I want to see whether or not you're still going to trust me. And boy, the growth that God gave us during those days, I'll thank him forever. When we have friends there, we'll have friends for life. My son, our son-in-law, Eric, followed me there. He is, he's their pastor now. So I've got a link forever with them. But those first years... <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have scripted them. One day, you, you know, if somebody takes me out to eat and they're really going to eat my lunch, and I know it, if you're one and you want to take me out to eat and you're just going to wreck me over the coals, bring your credit card. <laughs> I'm going to cost you, buddy. If you're going to have me for lunch, I'm fixing to have a good lunch. And it's going to cost you. And this particular day, a guy called me up, and uh, Dinah's always telling me, Wayne, Wayne, you talk too loud. Any men in here have the same uh, <laughs> response from their husbands? Wayne, will you cone it down? 
everybody in the whole restaurant is listening to you. Huh? What? Yep. Me? I was in a restaurant one day, and a guy took, took me to breakfast, and I thought he was a real friend. I really did. I thought he was my brother. I just lost all, put my guard down. He was in a Cracker Barrel. He's sitting right across from me. And we're talking and having the best time, and all of a sudden he lays his fork down right in the middle of a meal. That should have been my first clue. And he looked at me and he said, Wayne, you're killing this church. I have to look at it now and think how funny that is. How do you kill God's church? <laughs> you know, help yourself. I don't think I can handle that one. And he said, you're tearing it apart. And he went on and on. I'd heard it so many times. It was scripted, by the way. It's always scripted. When you hear stuff like this, 25 other people have said the same thing. They collect in groups. And the phrases, they don't, they did be more creative and change the phrases every now and then. He said, you're killing the church. Well, I didn't know what to say. About the time the guy behind him, listening to everything that's going on because of loudmouth Wayne, gets up and walks up to the table. He says, Wayne, I want to introduce myself to you. I said, okay. He said, I'm a fresh in town, I'm six months. Um, I think he said it was an attorney. He said, I just want you to know something. My life will never be the same. My family will never be the same with the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory. He said, you cannot know what this has done for my family. And he said, I don't want you to ever be discouraged. I'm just sitting there. He said, you're not only what, what Hoffmantown needs, you're what Albuquerque needs, you're what the whole state of New Mexico needs. Let me have your ticket. I'm going to go pay it. And I went, yes, absolutely. I was just at the point of giving up my joy and choosing not to walk in it. I was that close. Matter of fact, I probably crossed the line just a little bit. But when he walked up, it was like God said, what are you doing? You don't listen to that man. You listen to me. And no man can take from you what God has given to you. And if you're here today and there's not a rejoicing in your heart, there is something missing in your walk with Jesus, period. There's no gray area. There's no gray area. And that's what he's trying to tell Joshua. Lay it down, son. Take your shoes off. Learn to walk in what I've already given to you. You, no man can take it from you. That's what he told them. He said, their hearts are melted. Go on over there and take it. One generation died in the wilderness because they didn't believe it. And the next generation that goes in has a semblance of victory, but they did not take everything God said was already there. To deepen the effect of this, he adds this little phrase in verse 5. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. Wow. Man. I imagine he could say, yeah, I can see how you could do that with, with Moses, but not with me. And it's like God said, I'm not a respecter of people. I'm a respecter of faith. You trust me, the same wisdom, the same strength I gave to, to Moses, I'll give it to you. I'm not a respecter of persons. I will do what I say I'll do, but you've got to learn to trust me. You've got to learn to say yes to me. As Joshua walked trusting God, he could walk in a victory that God said would be his. No man would be able to stop him. So, he says, I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Man, but you must trust me. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Are you really satisfied with Jesus? Are you really? What has he got to take out of your life to show you that, that your satisfaction is somewhere else other than him? But when we come back to that place, don't factor God out of the equation of experiencing all that he's given us in Christ. Don't, don't take him out of that. Because he's orchestrating life to teach us this. Secondly, don't forget that there is a condition to experiencing all that he has for you in Christ. And that condition is 
Take off your sandals. Lay down your agenda. Walk in on the ground that He alone controls. And don't be foolish to think anyone can take from you what God has given to you. Man, I don't know if you heard a thing I said today. I'm listening. I think God wants to say it as much to me as He does anybody else. Are you satisfied just with Jesus? If you are, you don't have to worry about walking in what He says is yours. You're already there. The joy on your face, the countenance, the rejoicing in your heart flows out of you. And it doesn't matter what your circumstance is. He doesn't do with one he does what He does with the other. I'll never forget when Peter was told he was going to die. He looked over at John and said, what about him? And Jesus said, get your eyes off of him, son. You follow me. What is it to you if I let him live the rest of his life? And the rumor got out that he was going to live till Jesus came back. <laughs> the way people are. Are you, are you satisfied with Jesus? I am satisfied with Jesus. What's he got to take out to help you realize what you have. We can walk in that which he says is ours, only to the measure we're willing to say yes to him. Abandon everything and find our satisfaction in him. Experience what you already have. You don't have to go get it. It's there. Learn to appropriate it and experience it. Would you stand with me? Your head's bowed, eyes closed. I'm just going to pray and draw that circle around yourself and Roy plays. I, we're just going to listen to try to listen to the Lord this morning. Father, I, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you put up with me. I thank you, Lord, that you're so patient. I thank you, Father, that you love me regardless of my choices. But I thank you, Father, you love me enough to put enough pain in my life, enough of me in my life to where I, when I hit it, it's a dead end. And I thank you, Father, for the hope that's in Christ. I thank you, Lord, when I finally get to the cross kicking and screaming it, Lord, that's the place I needed to be to start with. And I pray, Father, this morning, you've said it to me so much in the preaching twice, but I pray you'll say it to others that we need to find our satisfaction just in you. And Father, I can't handle anybody else's life. I can't even handle my own. But I thank you, Father, you love us enough that you teach us from your word. And so, Lord, help us to hear what you said this morning. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, a circle drawn around each life, what's God saying to you this morning? Where's the circumstance in your life that has flooded your, your life. Where are you today? Some of you might want to come to the altar and just get before God. And like Mark sang so beautifully a while ago, come, come Lord Jesus, come. Come into this place. Maybe you just need to cry out to Him. He's here. Maybe you just need to pray that He'll manifest Himself in your life. Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord God, I've handled it all wrong. I'm bitter. My life is full of anger. Maybe that's what you're here, what's going on. Listen, nobody will bother you down here. You may be here when we leave. That's all right. That's between you and God. You want to come to the altar. Find you a place to pray. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. And 
perhaps for this Memorial Day, we celebrate the freedom of our country, but as Carrie so beautifully said, it's given to us by the shed blood of men. Celebrate your freedom that you have in Christ by the shed blood of Christ. What's God saying to you this morning? For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.